0: Good morning. Good morning. morning. All right. Am I on? I'm wired. Okay. Well, uh, last week, for those of you who are here, what did we talk about? Wives and husbands, right? Okay. And so um, we're talking about family, and we're talking about what God is doing in families. And we're talking about what God wants to do through each and every member of the family. And so today we're talking about children. And we're talking about parents. And so this affects every one of us. And not only does it affect every one of us, it affects everyone we know. Everyone we know. Not just our own families, but absolutely everybody that we know. Because it's who we are. It's what we are as Christians and it's what we are as people that from the inside begins to reflect on the outside and other people pick it up. Um, As a parent... I can remember very fondly, and and truly it is, as people would say, it was as if it was yesterday. I can remember the day Gabriel was born. I can remember the excitement. I can remember the feelings that I had. I even remember what I ate for lunch that day. And it was just a tremendous experience for all of my children. I can remember Angela and her birth and all the feelings I had of having a little girl and of being able to hold her and to be able to console her and to be able to watch her grow and have fun with her. With Nathaniel, I can remember everything about his birth because his was the most traumatic birth because the cord was wrapped around his neck and the doctor carefully bringing him out of carol and then I I getting to cut the umbilical cord. And so for each and every child, there's a really special memory. And when you get them, you know, they're just so cute, right? Like one parent said to me, it's a good thing God made them cute or we wouldn't want to take care of them. But they are cute. And we love them. But what happens when the cuteness fades? All right? Because it does. And, and it sometimes faster than you want. So what do you do when the cuteness fades? What do you do when they turn from the miracle baby to the terrible threes? Or the tantrums of two? What do you do when once what the person that you thought was just so lovable, huggable, and you just couldn't thank God enough for, now you're having fights with? What do you do? Well, you look to God. And you look to Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul was telling the Colossians. And that's exactly what God is telling us today. You look to Jesus. Because just as we saw last week, that Jesus is the perfect. Example of one who is to submit, just as wives are called to submit, so is Jesus the greatest who ever submitted, even to the Father's will. And just as husbands are called to love and die for their wives, and we define love as the cross, that Jesus is the greatest example, obviously, because he died and sacrificed his body, his life, for each and every one of us. Well, in the same way, Jesus is the perfect son. He's also the perfect father. And even when he came into this world, and even prophetically, before he was born, God was telling the world, God's telling us, that Jesus was going to come as the perfect son and the perfect father. And think about those verses that we hear at Christmas. You have it there in your outline, Isaiah 9, 6. And right there in these verses, both are expressed of Jesus. For to us a child is born, To us the son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so we have a son, God's son, and we have in him the name Everlasting Father. And so Jesus continually cares for his children, even as he understands what they are and what they go through, because he wants was a human as well. And God wants us to see the importance of children in the life of the church. God wants us to see the importance of parents and their children in the life of the church. And so parents are reminded. You look, think back to the verses that we looked at um, just a week ago, Colossians 3, 12 through 14. And it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now when we read that verse, we often think about it as the way we ought to treat one another at church. But I think Paul would say this is a a verse that we ought to be living in our home. For just as we put on clothes, one of the first things we do every day, so should a family put on these clothes every day. That this could be a manifesto for every family. This is how every family ought to be as God's chosen people, knowing they are dearly loved. That everyone in a family clothes themselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I mean, that's where it, It is, right? That's where the rubber meets the road. It's in the family. And where do we have the hardest time of doing the next part? It's in the family. Bear with each other. And then forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. It happens. It happens in families. We must forgive so that the greatest example of Christ beginning a relationship with us and building a relationship with us was through the act of the cross and the offer of forgiveness So can forgiveness build a marriage and build a relationship between husband and wife. So can forgiveness build a relationship and deepen a relationship between child and parent. Forgive them as the Lord forgave you. And over all the virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This girdle, this belt, wrapped around us like a blanket, building a family of character. And so God speaks to children Paul speaks to little children. In the day that this letter would have been written, then the day that this letter would have been presented, all of the family would have been together. And so that's why here in these verses, Paul actually addresses children. And the word for children here means little child, one who is under the care and responsibility of his parents or her parents. And so Paul is writing to these little children who are sitting there on the floor in the gathering of the Christian community and the person is reading and he's saying, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. So children were part of the community. They were part of the church. They were an important part just as adults are. And God shows respect to children. And so we want to look at what God gives to children and to parents in respect to respect. And that is since God respects us, he gives us the three R's. Okay, So so in school, your kids go to school and they learn the three R's, right? Reading, writing, arithmetic. So we have the three R's of the Christian family. That each person, in respect to who they are and in respect from God, they have rights, they have responsibilities, and how those rights and responsibilities are lived out will depend the results. Rights, responsibilities which turn into the results. And so children have a right. They have a right to be part of the church. They have a right to be loved and respected as part of that. They have a right to be addressed. They have a right to be put within the boundaries of obedience. They have a right to be loved and in that right, they have a responsibility and we often focus on that responsibility because it's the word obey. We want our children to obey. The word obey is made up of two words. One word is to hear and the other word is under. To hear under, to listen attentively, to the authority of one who is speaking over you. And so we are speaking into the lives of our children, and that's why they are to obey. Jesus was the perfect obeyer. In John 14, 31, the Bible says, the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Those are Jesus' words. Jesus again says in John 14:23 and 24 If anyone loves me he will obey my teaching my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him he who does not love me will not obey my teaching these words you hear are not my own they belong to the father who sent me obedience is a sign of love love is shown by obedience. When? All the time. Paul says to children, to these little children, I want you to obey your parents 100% of the time. Not just when you feel like it. Not just when you feel like you're being loved. Not just when it's convenient for you, but all the time. Obey your parents all the time. But their motive is not just so that their parents are obeyed. Let's look at the verse again. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. See, children are to be taught that the motive of their obedience is love for Jesus. In the same way that wives are taught that submission is their Jesus role, of how they are acting like Jesus. As husbands are taught to be dying unto their wives, to be sacrificial, to be tender and gentle. That's their Jesus role. That's what they do to please God. And this is what children do to please God. And so parents, I mean, when we speak into them, what are we teaching them? We're teaching them how to obey. We want to teach them that just as God has shown this great respect to us to give us rights, and responsibilities. So should we show them that they show us respect? Every ch- every parent wants that. When, we're, when the children are little, it means so much that, you know, the children just come running to you. And then as you get older and the parents, you know, go in the home and you don't even know where your kids are, they just stay in their rooms. But then when they, you see them, and if they don't acknowledge you, if they don't talk to you, if you don't have relationship with them, And you don't have that respect. You don't have opportunities then of continuing this relationship of building and sharing. God wants us to teach our children to have words and actions that are graced with God's humility and graced with God's love. We want to teach children. I mean, we teach them this all the time. Say thank you, right? Say thank you. We want children to show appreciation to us for us doing what God has asked us to do. And of course, we want children to submit to us. But we want them to submit to us willingly and readily. We want them to submit to us because we love them. And we'll see how we love them in just a bit. But the results, the results are to be shown in the lives of the children. If you want to know how well you're parenting your children, then you look at the results of what's happening in the home. If things are good in the home, you're probably using your rights and responsibilities the right way. And so are our children. And it's the same thing true of marriage. Look at the results that are living within your walls when nobody is watching. What's happening in the relationship between husband and wife? If you look at the results, you'll know whether or not you're living out your rights and responsibilities. And God's given us the freedom and the respect to be able to make the choices ourselves and not be forced. But God has given us the example in Jesus of how to do this. God wants us to love our children. And when we do, when we do it in such a way that there's good results, what will they feel? What will they get? What rewards will be theirs? Of course, they will have continual protection. As a parent will always be willing to die for their child. Protection from harm, sacrifice will always be given. Parents will do whatever they can for their child's well-being. The children will also then become wiser, right? The children will gain from the wisdom of their parents. Children will learn from their parents the way they ought to live, the way they ought to go. Children will also develop relationships better within the home, between brother and sister, between mom and dad, and then that will go out into the community and they'll know how to share their relationships with others. Children will also receive a quality of their heart and integrity. See, we want to care for our children's hearts, or their souls, not just for their actions. We want children to be what God says. In Ephesians 6 1 3, we have children that are addressed by Paul. And he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. And God's promise there isn't a length of life, but a quality of life for however long it is. Now, in most cases, it also does mean a longer life for the children. You don't kill them, right? (laughs) And they continue to grow. But more than that, you teach them the right things of how to live. You teach them the right respect that gets them along in life. You teach them the right principles and the right priorities. And you teach them most of all about Jesus because he is the manifestation of whom they are to copy in all these things. And so we are to raise our children. And so Paul speaks to parents now as a complement to what children are also. I mean, children are going to also hear now what Paul is saying to parents. So the letter's being read in the church, everybody's hearing it, and Paul says, Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. So, just as much as parents want children to focus on verse 20, so our children want parents to focus on verse 21. Every day a child might come home and say, hey, mom, dad, are you going to practice Colossians chapter 3, verse 21 today? Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will be discouraged. It's an interesting way of addressing fathers. In all the other ones, they're told what they are to do, to submit, to sacrifice, to obey. But this one is negative This command is given to parents from a negative point of view. It is saying, fathers, do not embitter your children. That's interesting. Now, why would Paul do that? First of all, it's because he wants them to know what their rights are. He wants them to fully understand what their rights are so that they can use their rights rightly. So they can use their rights in the correct fashion that God meant them. Be used. Yes, we can interpret this to be fathers and mothers, but it is specifically addressed here to fathers. And the first right that fathers ought to recognize is that we share the name of our Heavenly Father. That every father shares the name of the Heavenly Father because we're called fathers. And our Father in heaven wants us to represent him well because there's a strong connection, a vitally strong connection between how a child sees God, their heavenly father, as based upon how a child relates and sees his human father. And so in a way that a human father treats their child is the same way in which a child will learn how to listen to God and relate to him. Father's bear a strong importance of the relationship between your children and God. Father. And then from Father, just as our Heavenly Father, we see that our right is a right of authority. It is a right of ruling the family. It is a right of being in their lives and speaking into their lives and disciplining them so they'll obey, teaching them how. And so God would also want us to respect our children so that we treat them with rights the right way so that they can become the people that God wants them to be. And if you are taking notes or you just want to remember something, remember this statement. The role of the parent is to help our children become what God made them to be. Not what we want them to be but what God made them to be. My daughter, um, Angela, is a senior in high school, and um, for years we've been talking about college. And uh, for years she's been saying that she wants to be an artist. And, um, you know, that's sort of like anathema to Chinese parents most of the time. You know, um, you know music, uh, arts, you know, those things. And so, um, but Angela has our blessing. And, um, and we're encouraged in the fact that she wants to do this. And so right now we're looking at schools that have, you know, hopefully have good art programs. But in one of her art classes, um, she had to do a poster, and so she made this one. And uh, hopefully it'll be up there. Okay. And so you can see it, and, um, and it, it says, I want to be an artist. And then can you tell? And then over the mouth of that handsome young man are words, who looks a lot like his father, are the words success, academics, A plus, study, MD, PhD, school. Angela knows so many of her friends don't have choices of where they get to go to college or the choices of their careers because their parents are making them do what their parents want them to do. And their friends are so envious of Angela that she gets to do what she wants to do. And Angela has this quote on this poster, and it's taken from the Bangkok Post. And it says, often Asian parents place too much emphasis on getting what they want for their children instead of what their children want. Now, I would say that more important than that is what we just said before, that our role as parents is not to give them what they want, not to make them do what we want, but to help them to become what God made them to be and what God wants. That's our authority as God's agents. And that then leads us into our responsibility of not abusing it, And that's why Paul speaks to the first first reaction of parents to children when things start to go hard. And that is that we react and we can become overbearing. We can use our size. We can use our power. We can use our age as a reason to knock them on the head and to beat them into authority and to try to chisel them into the people that we want them to be. And they don't like it, but we keep doing it. And so Paul says, I don't want you parents to abuse your authority and therefore do not embitter. The word embitter means don't stimulate them to anger. Don't stimulate them to anger. Ephesians 6.4, Paul says in a parallel verse, Paul says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Do not exasperate your children. And the word exasperate is a different word than the word embitter, but it has the same meaning. The word exasperate means to anger alongside of. To anger alongside of. And the picture of both of these words is that somebody is angry and the fire spreads to the other one. So that someone gets angry and then there is a begetting of that into the other And that's what happens when our children are embittered. They become angry at us. They may not show it, but it'll be on the inside. And then gradually, they'll become discouraged. Gradually, they'll become people who don't want to listen to us anymore. And that's why Paul says, don't embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Discouraged is a word that has the word fire or passion in it and the negative particle before it. And so it's like not fire, not passion. In other words, discouragement means to put out the fire in your child. It means to discourage them and to make them spiritless, to take away their passions, to take away the things that God has put into their hearts. And then their hearts, instead of having a fire for what God made them to be, will become hardened towards us and even towards God. And we must be careful about continually fault-finding, never being satisfied, looking at the report card and looking only for the things that don't say A or A plus and focusing on that, looking at all the things they may do in sports and finding out the things that they did wrong. Focusing on the things that they do right is so important. And I've learned that in very painful ways. And most recently, with Nathaniel, um, where I know that I exasperated him. I know because I was angry and I got into a fight with him. And I yelled at him and I upset him and I hurt him deeply. I exasperated him. And I knew even when I did it, that what I did was wrong, but I did it anyway. It's almost like I couldn't even help myself. I exasperated him. I hurt him deeply. And I knew I had to go back and apologize to him. And it took actually a few days for things to calm down enough for us to even be able to talk to each other. I had done it so bad. I had exasperated him so bad that we, were, we weren't even hardly talking. And then I, I gave him this letter of apology. I had to ask him to forgive me because I had forgotten word. I had not lived Paul's word. Do not exasperate your children. I'm blessed. I'm blessed that God forgave me. And I'm blessed that Nathaniel forgave me. Now, do we discipline our children? Yes. In this case, I was 100% wrong. Now, there are other cases where our children are more wrong. And we must discipline them. And we will feel angry. And we must do something to help them so that we are exercising correctly the power of parents to lead our children. But I like the words from Adam Clark, and he is an old-time British theologian. And you have his quote there up in the right-hand corner. And Adam Clark says this, He who corrects his children according to God and reason will feel every blow on his own heart more sensibly than his child feels on his body. And so God is speaking to our hearts and he wants our hearts to know, just as I knew, but it was afterwards that I had hurt Nathaniel's heart and then my heart hurt out of guilt. But then I had to go back and apologize. And I think, that this is a good exercise for us. As I was working through this problem, someone said to me, it's actually a good thing every now and then to go to your children and ask a general question and say to them, is there anything I need to ask for your forgiveness? Is there anything I need to ask for your forgiveness? And that's a discussion builder. And you say, well, when, when can you start that? When, when are they old enough? They're old enough whenever you can tell them to say sorry to somebody else. And then you can tell them that you're sorry. It's a way of encouraging when we mess up. But God would have us to not mess up. And so the opposite of discourage, of course, is to encourage. And so God wants us to encourage them by giving them things that are easily to be obeyed, things that are within reason, things that are within loving boundaries. We want to praise them and let them know the things that they do are right. We want to encourage them in the things that they love, and the heart, the gifts that God's given to them, their talents and their spiritual gifts as well. We want to love them as God loves them. Growing up, um, I, I didn't get a lot of encouragement as much as I wanted. And I worked with my dad in the grocery store. And I always remember this one day that I I took the groceries out um, for a customer, and this lady was talking to me, and she goes, oh, your dad brags about you all the time. And I, I remember thinking, he brags about me? I mean, I don't, I didn't know that. I don't hear that. And I remember thinking, I wish he would brag about me to me. And now as I've grown up, and as I have children, I try to think about that. You know, we love to brag about our children to other parents, don't we? Well, why do we do that? Because it makes us feel good. It helps us to feel like, oh, we're doing a good job parenting. But what God would have us to do is to brag about our children to our children. That's what makes a difference to them. They may hear you bragging about them to other people. That might have some effect. Or they may think that you're just bragging. But if you brag about them to them, they'll know you love them. And if it stays there and it builds there, the encouragement continues. And so, especially to those of us in homes, it's so important for us to build each other up in Christ. See, Paul in Ephesians said the same thing, fathers do not exasperate your children, but he says, instead of exasperating them, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Instead of exasperating them, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. A couple parents heard about today's sermon and asked if they could bring their kids into service. And, um, and so I, I talked to Ben about that, and um, he said, no, nah, probably not a good idea. But I thought, there's actually something better than that anyway, because you don't want me, you don't want to, you know, hire me as a subcontractor, <laughs> right? You know, you wouldn't subcontract child rearing, would you, right? You know, you wouldn't outsource child rearing. Um, so this is what you can do. And actually, if you missed last week's sermon, then I really encourage this as well, Uh, for husbands and wives, but you can go online to a church website, harvestervine.net, and just go to sermons, audio files, and you can just stream or you can download last week's sermon about husbands and wives, and this week's sermon about parents and children. And actually, I also asked Andy to videotape it, because I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, how boring will it be for a child to listen to Pastor Curtis on an MP3? You know, that's very boring. Um, but so if you want a video file of it, you could just ask Andy for it and we can send that to you or I don't know if he'll put it on YouTube or you can just watch it there. But in any case, sit down, find a portion of today's message, just a short portion. Remember the children and remember I'm talking. So make it really short so that you're talking, not me. But let it be a discussion builder. You could even say, Pastor Curtis made us do this. But then you could say, No, you know what? God wants us to do this. And they can hear God's word, that they are to obey you. And you can share with them things that you want them to obey and why. And build them up. Spending time with them, training them in the instruction of the Lord. Or in and you have his quote there on the right. Um, I'm sorry, it's on the left. But you have his quote there. And he says, if a home is truly Christian, it is a place of encouragement. And these are the results that will happen in a family. Bad results, like embittering them, exasperating them, or good results, like instruction in the Lord, training and encouragement. He continues and says, in such a home, a child finds refuge from battles. Another good result. And yet strength to fight the battles and carry the burdens of growing maturity. More good results. He finds a loving heart, a watchful eye, a listening ear, a helpful hand. He does not want any other place to meet his needs. It's so important for us. We do not want our children to find their most important needs met outside of the home. We don't want them to find it in school. We don't want them to find it in their friends. We don't want them to find them at parties. We don't want them to find it on TV, movies, or internet. We want our children to find what they need in their home. And these are to be the place where the results are most fruitful. And then... Dr. Wiersbe says, in this kind of home, it is natural for a child to trust Christ and want to live for him. The challenge of parenting is to live within the home an example for our child. Our child's watching everything. And so we go back to last week's sermon. Our children are watching the way mom and dad are relating to each other. Are we being good examples to our children? Or are we just showing them the ways that they see on TV? Are we making a difference? I love the way the New, the, um, the Living Bible translates Psalm 101, verse 2. And it says, I will try to walk a blameless path. And this is a prayer. But I need, but how I need your help. But how I need your help, especially in my home where I long to act as I should. Let me read that again. A prayer for all of us. I will try to walk a blameless path, but how I need your help, especially in my home, where I long to act as I should. As we should. Spending time with our children. Listening to them. Being patient being an example being there for them being careful with our words seasoning them with salt and with sugar showing them our hearts asking their forgiveness when we mess up treating each one individually as a unique and specially gifted person not like their siblings not comparing them Not being impartial, not treating the one who's easier, better, just because they're easier, or treating the one who's harder, worse, just because they're harder. God wants us to have a Christ-like attitude towards our children. He doesn't treat me any better than he treats you. He doesn't treat you any better than he treats me. And I can't think of anything more important than us as a church to share with the world than these two messages that we've just heard of God's word, of wives and husbands, the foundation of our society and of the world, and of children and their parents. And so I strongly encourage you to not just share this, but to share this with your friends, share it with other people who who aren't here today that you know usually come to Harvest, Encourage them, not so much to listen to the sermon, but to listen to the word of God. Because this is where God will change us. This is in our hearts, not in our heads. This is in our lives, not in our actions, just that people see. It'll be what people will know is who we are as the children of God, acting like the Son of God. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, to be the people that you made us to be by walking a blameless path. But how, oh Lord, we need your help, especially in our home. Help us, Lord where we long to act as we should. Help us, Lord, to be those agents in your hands of salt and light to our children, to our parents, to our family, to our friends, to our neighborhood, to our city, to our world, for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Jesus, the perfect Son, the perfect Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Amen.